0: Alchemy is an ancient practice associated with science, chemistry, physics, astronomy, astrology, art, symbology, metallurgy, medicine, and philosophical analysis.
1: And despite that these sciences were not exercised in a scientific way as known today, alchemy is the origin of modern logic. Dear listeners, dear alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh And welcome to another episode of the Alchemy of Truth With your host Nasser Khatib and your co-host Anna Rose Zaid. Anna Rose is not with us at the moment She is not dead She is just um, practicing a very well-known Muslim um, practice, I guess you could call it Which is Muslim time Which is when the show starts today. She's um, getting here uh, Still So, um, inshallah, we're going to have an exciting few episodes coming up. Uh, Our co-host, Amr Sari, has just come back from hajj, but he just came back on Tuesday, so he's getting over his hajj uh, flu. So we say congratulations to him and hajjan mabroor, inshallah. May his hajj be accepted. Uh, And he will be uh, with us next next Friday to uh, tell us all about his hajj experiences. Um, We today are having some very special guests flown in all the way from Victoria we're going to talk about a number of things with them inshallah Uh, in the meantime uh, we uh, always look to your suggestions in regards to finding a Nasheed to play during our mid-break mid-program break break, whatever you want to call it Um, so please uh, send in your suggestions uh so our guests today are, like I said, uh dear friends of mine, which I am very happy and honored to have here on the show. The first we start from the right is uh Nuruddin Nuruddin is it, Nuruddin, yes, Nuruddin Abu Zaid, uh who is a pharmacist and a spoken word artist, poet, spoken word poet. And um he's also a lover, not a fighter. Is that right? <laughs> what? <laughs> Yes. Uh, so, Noor, salaam alaikum.
0: rahmatullah.
1: Welcome to Sydney.
0: Thank you for having us.
1: It's uh, it's my pleasure, inshallah. And uh, our second guest is also a brother, Doctor. Doctor, not Doctor. No, no, yeah. no not, not Doctor. Doctor be, inshallah, Muhammad tabba who is a uh, PhD candidate at Melbourne University, yes. um, as well as a, a new um, executive member for the ICV, the Islamic Council of Victoria. And there is a lot of stories and laughs behind that story, which we'll, inshallah, get into as well. Uh, so, Brother Muhammad, as alaikum.
2: thanks for having us again.
1: Uh, it's a pleasure. Thank you for making the time to come with us. Um, so, tell me, first of all, we start with you, Noor. Um, uh, you are a pharmacist. Boring, yeah. we know what a pharmacist That's does. That's right, yeah, by profession. Uh, by profession, but uh, with um, uh, spoken word, what does that mean? Um, let's let's pretend uh, that I don't know what it means and ask you, is it poetry, is it rapping, is it like Australian Idol, but without music, what's, what's the deal with
0: it? Maybe it's an amalgamation of everything. Essentially what it is, it's, a, it's an art form or form of expression that involves quite obviously the spoken word. So it is poetry essentially that is performed. So another word for it is performance poetry. Um, There are different ways to do it. Often it involves sometimes a bit more dramatization and not so much just focus on the words. There's no actual particular way that the words need to be structured like traditional poetry. It's a
1: bit more free-flowing, a bit more honest. Okay. And um, so I'm guessing that because it doesn't have music um, and it's quite raw, it would have a lot of Muslims getting involved in it. Is that the case?
0: It seems to be growing amongst the Muslim community. I mean, poetry is... A very important tradition in the Ara- in the Arabic language in the Arabic world, and it's and the good thing about this art form is that it, it involves some aspects of you know hip hop, for example, like the flow or the drum or dramatization and expression but be- because there's no music um, which can be contentious at some times, um, it allows to be a universal platform that yep. gets around to everyone um, and is sort of universally accepted and you know, the the oral tradition is something common amongst many Muslims. And this is, I suppose, a, a
1: contemporary uh, swing on it, if you like. Ah, mashallah, that's good. Um, okay, and so when is the next major thing happening? I know there is a national uh, spoken word uh, competition which the person wins like uh, a Mercedes or something.
0: So there is the major national competition. It's called the Australian Poetry Slam. The regional heats are still going on. Alhamdulillah I was lucky enough to win one of the regional heats in Victoria and I will be performing at the Victorian State Final uh, on November 23rd. There is also a national final uh, that will be held in Sydney, I believe, on the 1st of December and inshallah with your du'a maybe I can take my mes- bring my message again to
1: Sydney. Inshallah inshallah that would be um, our pleasure to have you back in Sydney whenever you can. And you're married? No. Oh, mashallah, <laughs> he's not married. Okay. <laughs> Look That's a uh, good, good note to uh, put <coughs> in our agenda, sisters. And um, <laughs> moving on to Brother Muhammad, uh, you're doing your PhD. I think it's on um, human rights, correct?
2: Um, it's an exploration of human rights philosophy and, or a comparison, sorry, uh, human rights philosophy and traditional Islamic thought in relation to epistemology.
1: Okay, and uh, this is actually something that I would have that I would have liked to bring you in just to speak about that, and um, but unfortunately you decided to get involved in a number <laughs> of things, so I'm hoping to see you again in Sydney soon, so that yeah, we can yeah. do a show about that as well. Yep. Um, and also you're a uh, executive member in the ICV. Correct. Okay. Uh, now for those in the know, uh, Brother Muhammad is uh, quite uh, controversial in his articles, and uh, his um on Facebook trolling for um yeah, if you could call it that, yeah. challenging the status quo so for the d- different organizations <laughs> in melbourne and sydney um, in, in how they handle different um uh, events that have uh, occurred to the muslim community in regards to race uh, um sorry terrorism in regards to the recent riots that we've had and so we'll discuss that with him as well and how uh, how he took this step to join the icv and you know how that uh, is going to um uh, join in with with his views and values and The current dynamic uh, in the Muslim community, but what we're going to be talking about in the meantime is the ICV leadership program. So we know that, for example, there is I think about four or five different leadership programs. Um, uh, Lakimba Mosque has a leadership program. I know that the LME. I mean not Lakimba Mosque. Um, Another um, Famsi has a leadership program. Um, Who else has a leadership program? I think not Mission of Hope. The other one. Mercy, also, Mission. Mercy Mission used yeah. to have one. I don't know if they still oh, do okay. one. Okay, Mercy Mission had one, and I remember from a friend of mine from Melbourne went to it. And comparatively, he said that it's very good. But the I C V one, I think it's the first one that came out, and it was the one that's most recognizable by the government. So, I remember a few people who went a, li- a couple of years ago. They went to Indonesia, and uh, they went to that's uh, a different program. That's a different one. Oh, is it? That's a exchange, exchange program. Yeah. yeah. No, there was one. <coughs> Barak went. They didn't go to Indonesia. Oh, didn't they? Okay. No. So they go to Indonesians Canberra. Indonesians came here. Oh, Indonesians came Okay, maybe that's... Same thing. Allah <laughs> alam. Uh, Yeah, so they go to Canberra, they go to Sydney, they meet different politicians and things like that. Uh, but um, this year, I understand it's uh, a bit different. Um, so tell us, um, I guess we'll start with you, know, Tell us a little bit about the ICV program, why you decided to join.
0: Okay, why I decided to join, well, I've always been interested in this particular program. Um, just for the record, it is co-run by the Islamic Council of Victoria and also the Centre for Dialogue at La Trobe University, who play an important part in facilitating it. The reason I wanted to get involved is it it's not really a leadership program per se, but it's more of a intensive civic education program for Muslims. Um, and although I am by profession a pharmacist, um, and I do sort of delve in the arts in my off time. I have always been, alhamdulillah, active in the community and trying to be more active. And I suppose I'm looking for roles to uh, contribute more, whether it be in the on the professional side or the artistic side or purely even on a sort of supportive side with new ideas, etc. And I felt that this program incorporated a lot of aspects to help me discover those options. So it's a mix of, uh, areas of politics um, there is uh, the, the idea of dialogue with different groups whether it be different Muslim organization different faiths different sects that sort of thing so um, yeah so I joined it to again like I said discover new aspects to be more involved with the community and because it takes us to that level of um, government and sort of community leadership it allows us to see how things work often a lot of a lot of the youth, we are critical of how things are run, but we don't really understand how to change them or how to get involved because no one's ever told us how they're run. We don't see how the intricacies or the complexities work. So by being able to go to camera and speak to politicians, we got a real understanding of how you know government systems work, how we can then lobby them, approach them. Similarly, by talking to a lot of the Muslim communities, we understand their makeup, how, again, they administer... Particular activities, and it sort of teaches us how then we can implement them um, in our own way or get you know contribute and
1: help out. So, okay, um, look, I've asked some people and I've also read around about the IC uh, the leadership program that ICV is doing. Um, I'm getting very differing views. So, one person, for example, said the they privilege one group of Muslims over the another, and were you know, many people were critical of um, their. Um, you know, perceived closeness with the AFP as well. Someone else described them as being engaged in active creative th- initiatives, proactive media engagement, uh, being involved with local communities, and well networked. Uh, so, Mohammed, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, which which is which side is closer, correct? Truth? Yeah.
2: Okay, um, there is a very interesting history of the leadership program, which is actually, if I can be brutally honest, why I joined it. Um, I heard a lot of these uh, rumors of privileging one particular group um, and let's put it out there bluntly as sort of you know a moderate a liberal type Muslim group um, and so I'm not sure, I heard a lot of these accounts from previous years um, and that's actually why I joined it in order to check it out, is it really that and also I guess if I can be a bit more honest again, this is what really intrigues me I like having these debates and these sort of discussions so I thought I actually joined on the basis that it is that sort of a program which promotes one particular group and I thought well that's great I'll get in and maybe challenge a little bit Um, I have to say and I've told um, the leaders running the program this I've been incredibly surprised by uh, this year's program Um, it has changed incredibly from the past so um, it is now very, very, very open to all sorts of ideas, all sorts of peoples and, and views and so on. So it has changed. But um, there is definitely that historical idea. I think it is um, partially justified that it was about... Maybe not deliberately. Um, I, I think actually it wasn't deliberately. Um, but it did happen to privilege one group over another. But at the m- at the moment, it's actually... It's, it's really, really good um, in terms of uh, honest discussion and in terms of networking, so... Okay, that's great.
0: Essentially, in in previous <coughs> years, because, it, like I said, it's a uh, cohort run by La Trobe University, there seemed to be less involvement from the Muslim yes. community. But this year, the Islamic Council of Victoria, alhamdulillah, um, has experienced a lot of changes, and it's good to see this um, evolution in our communities, if you like. They've taken sort of um, a much proactive. more prominent, mm. proactive role in the leadership program this year, and with the help of, mashallah, an amazing brother at La Trobe University, Dr. Sven Shotman. Shotman, Although his name is Dr. Sven Shotman, <laughs> he is, he's a, mashallah, a, a, a very amazing brother. He has worked really hard to, if you like, Islamicize the project, and essentially, like he says, for us to own the project and make it what it is, sort of, sort of meld it how we want to. So, again, it's a lot of openness, and it, yeah. because a lot of initiative... Done sort of for the ICV to sort of, you know, push in and put more, you know, more of their time into it. So it's really good this year. Like one
2: example, actually, from the the um, previous years, Uh, one of the complaints was that the timetabling didn't even allow for prayer, um, which was obviously ironic given a Muslim leadership program. So I think it was just really um, a lack of awareness on the part of you know, the, the management which was mainly non-Muslim. So, yeah, uh, Sven's come in, mashallah, he's done a superb job with the ICV and really changed the program to, uh, you know, uh, be more sensitive towards Muslim needs and much, much more open. So, alhamdulillah, it's actually I would heavily recommend it. Um, okay, that's very good. Uh, how, how
1: has your experience been so far? I mean, you're in Sydney, you've met different politicians different, uh, and different religious and other community groups. Uh, what have been your highlights uh, so far? I, I know that you guys met uh, Kevin Rudd, for example, and, and, yes. and a really racist <laughs> MP. So tell me about that. Um,
2: Michaela Cash, I might send a shout out to our Western Australian <laughs> politician. Uh, <laughs> we love you. The Muslim community loves you much. <laughs> um, she was really interesting. Um, bubbly, nice personality, extremely racist and sexist. <laughs> 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 Just to add a bit of flavor to it. Kevin Rudd was very interesting. Um We spoke to, um, what's his name, Chris Bowen. We spoke to a number of politicians. You spoke to Chris Bowen? We spoke to Chris Bowen. Um,
1: Did you you challenge him with anything? We
2: challenged every... Actually, um, if I might uh, make this statement, um, one thing which has just been very prominent in this group, and everybody has told us this, from the the, the managers running the program to everybody that we've been meeting, um, this group, the one thing it's done um, day after day is challenge and shock, which...
1: Okay that's very I'm not good. sure if it's a good or a bad thing no, but Charlotte we've been doing it. Good thing. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, we've put politicians um in a very uncomfortable position which I'm happy with. Um but yeah I think um we have definitely challenged and shocked but the, yeah it was it's been an excellent experience it's been I mean all round um even from the most sort of interesting characters like Michaela Cash to you know to Kevin Rudd, it's been it, it's been definitely valuable.
0: Yeah and just maybe to to clarify um So the program includes like a variety of participants. So even though I'm a pharmacist by profession, we also have teachers, uh, da'wah workers, um, different community workers, academics. We do have a politician. Um, About 10 of us from Melbourne, nine from Melbourne, one from Sydney. And then we have eight participants from Southeast Asia. So two from Indonesia, two from Malaysia, two from... uh, Two from the Philippines and two from Southern Thailand. And what's been interesting, we've been with them for two weeks. So we had an initial week in Melbourne, this week in Canberra and Sydney, is that we're learning so much from the South East Muslim um Asian Southeast Asian Muslim brothers and sisters mm-hmm. that has been um, you know, so valuable the experiences and the stories they share. And sometimes we, we talk about the problems we're facing here compared to the problems, for example, that that the Muslims are facing yeah. in the Philippines because they're from a region called Mindanao in the south uh, yes, where yes. Muslims have been, you know, under... Yeah, there's you know, been a lot of problems with... A um, lo- lot of problems. They have the, the,
1: um, the, the Muslim... The Moro Islamic yeah, Liberation Moro Islam, Front. Yes.
0: So they've been explaining these and a lot of us were sort of uh, oblivious to these things or even the struggle of Muslims in southern Thailand and the fact they're sharing their stories with well us and we're seeing, you know, our problems sort of you know, in in the, the scope of the world, there's so much more, yeah, there's so much more difficult things out there. And then again, we compare to, for example, our brothers and sisters from Indonesia, and Malaysia, where they're the Muslim majority. And they're sort of, well, saying that we're struggling with issues that they might consider basic. So it's really good to sort of compare how Islam is seen in these regions and how the mm. Muslims practice. And that, like I said, has just been... An amazing experience um, to, to share with them one
2: one interesting experience which all of us locals have had um, and agreed upon is just how impressed we are with these um the the muslims from asia mashallah the work that they do is unbelievable it actually um put us to shame <laughs> quite instantly mashallah. and um i think one lesson that i've learned personally is that uh, and sven keeps reiterating this is that we often look east um for everything we look to saudi we look to the arab world we look to um, all these other regions we bypass the Asian region, as if it's not significant, as if mm. it's not relevant, mm-hmm. um, and I think this, uh, for me, has been a massive eye-opener that we have neighbours, which and there's an incredible movement going on there, which I think we need to uh, engage with much more closely. So
1: mm. this is very interesting, and it's also something that's um, interesting to me personally because we're always going back and forth about the issue of the Muslim identity in Australia, what it means, um, and and how we um, how we can d- define it properly. And uh, because the the most um, shallow question would be, are you Australian Muslim or Muslim Australian? But of course, the deeper you go into it, the the sillier this question becomes. Um, so this is, inshallah, maybe something that we can bring up uh, later on, inshallah. Um, so we're going to take a little break. And this is an asheed uh, that I found uh, recently. Um, what do you guys think of Sami Yusuf? It's all
0: right. I'm, yeah. not, I'm not... a. God. overplayed right he's overplayed I think
1: uh, so yeah we're gonna play one nashid of his it's new it's it's very cute because it's actually a cartoon um so uh, we will be back afterwards inshallah with our guests today from the ICv leadership program uh, nur and oh it's a game that they play <laughs> what a shame what they
2: say
1: Yes, and we're back with the Alchemy of Trip with your host, Nasser Khatib, um, and with our co host, Muslim Time. Muslim Time? Yes, that's you. That's your name. Muslim Time?
3: Yes. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.
1: And that was Muslim Time. She just came in two minutes ago, and we're not going to drop it for the whole show. Uh, just a reminder to um, um, our. Go- uh, listeners that um this is Muslim Times last um show before she has to travel to Palestine to study what are you studying Arabic? Arabic Arabic yes with her husband uh, Muslim Time Zaid uh so yes uh back to our guests brothers Noor and Muhammad uh and and specifically this is for you uh, brother Muhammad um you've had a lot of um as I said before controversy, you've made a lot of people angry. Some people seething with anger about the articles you've written because um, whenever something happens, I mean, uh, in, in Sydney, it was the protests. In Melbourne, it was the uh, terrorist arrests or whatever you want to call them. Rides, yep. um, and uh, in a lot of these um, events, the Muslim community leadership was enrolled. So in the ICV, for example, it was apparently for some sort of cultural sensitivity that... Um, the ICV was informed of the the uh, raids before they took place, and they were they were in basically in on it the whole the whole way through. And the same thing with, the, uh, with Sydney, I know because um, it happened you know a few weeks ago that the Muslim community was again very instrumental in, in being on the side of the police and condemning the actions and sometimes even going as far as condemning the protesters. Uh, and so, but your articles and, and your opinions uh, with a few others, um, which were taken very harshly by both Muslim and non-Muslims, uh, was that it was the Muslim community's fault that they were very disengaged from uh, the current uh, youth and, and the problems that the youth have uh, in Australia. So, tell me a little bit about that. Why did you decide to uh, get engaged with, with um Uh, The ICV and and the Executive Council, um, I would have thought that you'd be against them, that you'd want them to be disbanded or something.
2: Okay, if I can address the first issue first, because I think the ICV one is a a secondary question. No worries. Um, Okay, where to begin? First of all, I think it's important to clarify, and I have done this with a few of the leaders here today. um, My opinions and those that were similar to mine were not about about intention. Um, They were purely about analysing actions. Um, And I I still stand by my statements, I think the actions um, in many of these circumstances were counterproductive, they were detrimental to the Muslim community. Um, We've discussed that at length now with the Muslim leaders and um, there has been a lot of acknowledgement on both sides as to what happened and so on. So I think the first thing to acknowledge is that we're not talking about intention. Um, But I think from this episode it's become incredibly clear that there is a very severe dislocation between the leadership and the youth specifically. Um, and this has, um I, I think, this was uh, magnified by these events and by the condemnation and the labelling and so on. So uh, as to why I chose to write the articles, um, I'll be honest, it, it began with the ICV press release uh, in regards to the raids. Um, I found some of the language irresponsible um, and it actually, it, to be honest, it made me really angry to see that because I, I mean, I study law, I teach law, and I te- specifically relating to anti-terror laws. I've done a lot of research on this. Uh, we have, without any doubt, the harshest anti-terror laws in the world. Um, that's acknowledged by many legal scholars. And so, for me, it's really hurtful to see that the police are using these very harsh, discriminatory laws against the Muslim community, harassing them with them. And instead of defending the community, we have many leaders supporting the police. Um, that's very hurtful. Um, and on the other hand of it is that I contacted these families who were raided, um, I know some of them personally, as I did in 2009, um, nobody ever checks up on them. Um, they have families, they have kids, one house had uh, six children and their father was, o- was overseas. Um, they were raided by 20 to 30 police. Uh, nobody checked up on them. I actually called them up and said, do you need legal advice? Uh, their response was, why would we need that? Um, so they, they weren't even aware of the seriousness of their situation so it was really really sad to see the priorities of the Muslim leadership um, were about siding with police being seen to be good um, and condemning any sorts of thing instead of actually caring for the Muslim community Um, and I saw and and that was my initial sort of response I, I started writing simply on on Facebook, um, expressing some views. And that only amplified once the um, protest response came about. I was just, okay, this is enough. And I think a lot of youth felt that. And Um, what
3: about the protest response made you think this is enough? Because I think a bit of that really can't apply in Sydney. For example, the leadership... I know a number of sheikhs were in very close contact with the specific young people involved, as in yep. meeting with them every single evening and discussing for hours what had happened, why it had happened, what yep. their correct response should be. So, yep. for example, that aspect could definitely not apply in the Sydney context.
2: Yeah. It, look, it's a good point. Um, the difference is that all of this engagement with youth, with the youth happened post-protest and post-press release, which is why I spoke out. Um, if the engagement had happened prior to the press releases, um, I would have not spoken whatsoever. Um, but all of this happened. And again, this is the, the one of the key points I was pointing to is that, um, unfortunately, we're being very reactionary. Yeah. Um, and I think many people have realized that. Um, media tells us, okay, you're terrorists, we say, no, we're not, we're peace. Media says this, we're simply responding rather than being proactive and taking the lead. And I think that was one of the main things that came out of the Sydney protest is that it was purely reactionary. So the media, the politicians said, all right, we want you to condemn. And we said, okay, how harshly would you like us to condemn? And we did exactly that. Um, and for me, I mean, again, with, with my studies, I study these sorts of issues Condemnation is one of the worst things to do in this scenario, okay? Um, On the one hand, I know it appeases a public, a general public, um, which is one side of the story, but I think we overemphasize that side of the story. Once you condemn, then you're, you're naturally turned away from the real questions of why are the youth angry, why are they expressing themselves in this manner, which for me are the real questions. Um, we need to explore why these things are happening rather than just taking a very reactionary response and saying we hate this we condemn that we apologize for this this doesn't solve the issue it merely postpones it if nothing if there's no true engagement with the youth this will happen again and again and again and we know that we've seen i mean the Cronulla riots we thought we dealt with it then by condemning and and distancing and so on we've had a number of issues the you know the gang rapes and all these sorts of things we thought we're dealing with them Uh, we've been doing the same thing for 10 12 years it obviously hasn't worked um, and, and my sort of idea, if, we, if we've if we been doing the same thing for 10 years, 12 years, and all that hard work can be undone in a matter of hours, then we have to reassess our position, whether it's actually effective or not.
3: Are you talking specifically about media engagement or community engagement or both intertwined?
2: Okay, they're both intertwined, definitely. I'm talking about both. Okay, yeah. Um, and one of the key things for me is, and this is, I think, again, where there was a bit of a misinterpretation of my position. I'm not claiming that the leaders don't do anything. I know they do an incredible amount of work behind the scenes, um, but there's two, there's two aspects to this. One is that I think much of that work doesn't address our key issues, and I'll get to that in a moment. The other one, which is key, is that this is about perception, not facts. Okay, and as, I mean, we had a, we had a workshop with uh, Dr. Zakaria Matthews today, and his statement I found really interesting. He said, perception is reality. Okay, regardless of facts, and, and I, I'm very um, comfortable with that. The perception amongst many of the youth, whether it's justified or not, is an entirely different discussion. But the perception is that nothing is being done, okay, that the leadership is selling out or siding with the wrong side and so on. This perception, without any shadow of a doubt, is not being addressed. Um, and I, I think that's what's causing this angst and this anger amongst the youth towards the leadership.
3: Okay. Do you think at all you perpetuated that perception? Through your articles um, and, and through your you know your Facebook post yeah.
2: about it: no, I think actually I brought it to light um, because
3: it really was like that especially the Facebook post was really passed around a lot and yeah
2: yeah well look I mean for me the fact that it was passed around so much uh, for me is evidence that it exists um, I don't think I created it. Um, but I think I brought it to light and let, and let the leadership... I mean, the youth already knew that, which is why they were so supportive of it. Do you
3: mean the perception existed or the fact exists that the, the leaders aren't active The fact
2: is entirely separate discussion, as yeah. I mentioned. The perception exists, yeah. uh, existed well before the articles, and I think that's why it resonated so much with the youth.
3: But in those posts, you didn't write, the leaders are perceived as doing this and the leaders are perceived as doing that. You said they are doing this and they are doing that. They so you, are, you weren't yes, really yes, talking yes. about this is what we perceive you are doing. Yes. You're saying this is what you are doing.
2: Yep, Mike. My, my initial criticism, my initial um, writings were about actions. Yep. And and um, and you're definitely right. I was saying you are doing this because they were, and uh, the actions I was referring to were the media actions. Yeah. Um, so that's what I was criticizing very strongly, and and that is not a perception. That's that's the fact. That's the action. Yeah.
3: Also, do you? account much for the how the media frames the message, you know, no matter how the leadership themselves present it. For example, with the post-press release or the conference or whatever at Sydney, um, I was saying to my friend that I thought it was really annoying that, you know, the Muslim leaders didn't say, we've now addressed this, we don't want to talk about it anymore because we don't think it's worth any more attention, so we're leaving it there. And this is all we're saying about it, and that's that. And she said they did. That's what they said. They said that at the very end. Just no one reported it. No one said that they said that. So no one knows that they said that. So how much do you think this accounts for the perception and how much should it be recognised for that?
2: I think it uh, accounts to an extent, but I think to a minor extent, because um, much of the responses, and I'm talking historically here, not just with the recent events, are not really taken out of context. A lot of them are full-length interviews where um, you see leaders very, very happy to condemn their community, to distance themselves from the community and so on. So partially, of course, the media has, has a part to uh, to play in this, but at the same time, um, this is a leadership issue again. As leaders, we're supposed to, um, to sp- we're supposed to foresee these issues and know how to deal with media responsibly, knowing very well that they might do these things. So I think, yeah, there is a bit of a leadership issue there as well.
3: And also, when you say condemn their community, Especially with the Sydney riots, riots, you know, protests, whatever. Yep. Um, it was a really small number of the community that were there and an even smaller number who held inflammatory signs or act in any sort of aggressive way. So is it actually, you know, defending their community implies the whole community, the whole Muslim community, when... A, a vast amount of Muslims do disagree with these actions and do do think they're wrong. So does that come into play at all when th- should they defend actions that a lot of Muslims themselves disagree with?
2: Yeah look good question again. Um, I think what happened with this recent episode was that a, a dichotomy was set up a binary. You either, um, you either condemn the protesters or you defend their actions and for me that's a, a very simplistic binary which is not uh, which is not real. It's not um, realistic. That's not the only two positions you can take. You can disagree with the protest, um, with the protesters' actions, which we all do. I mean, them, they themselves know that what they did was counterproductive. They're not under any, any illusions. But the fact that you disagree with their actions doesn't who, mean who you necessarily... Th- who thinks that? Many uh, people. I mean, uh, many people on Facebook attended the protests and got caught up in the action and say, we know that this was wrong. And I, Look, I've been in protests. I've been pepper sprayed th- th- before. Look, bro, I know that the actions can were... Can I just
1: um, interject here? <coughs> um, a lot of the people, and I can tell you two people that I've met personally, spoken to personally, did not think there was anything wrong with their views with what they did, with their views and their actions and with what they did. And even one of them said the only (coughs) way to answer such a thing, which is if somebody writes uh, like a poem about the prophet or something that's not in a good light, is the edge of the sword. And I don't get around much with with, um, people with that sort of idea. So just randomly meeting them means that there's a lot of people out there, not just with that idea, but also preaching that idea yeah so there is a serious problem here i mean of course um i'm Mm -hmm. in agreement with you in a lot of these things but there are people out there who are extremely violent yeah and their violence is is not directly connected to the the disconnect with the community i mean there are pockets in in sydney and i'm guessing in melbourne as well in which there is such um thinking i don't want to say extremist thinking but such thinking yeah so
3: is there a question That's Yeah my, 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 my <laughs> que- I
1: mean not my question but um I, I want to make a correction here I want to make it clear that yeah. th- there is thinking like that as well it's okay, not yeah, just yeah, yeah. it's not just the yeah, same anger uh, that the yeah, community yeah, yeah. is not listening to us and we're poor people and this is how we lash out it's uh, I don't think it's accurate to just say that and that this yeah. is the only issue when yet. I'm
2: saying that um there's the anger and there are the issues and and uh, often I, I use the words issues as well as anger that's an issue which needs to be dealt with and uh, and i think we're ignoring that uh very often so we, we might disagree entirely with the views of that group in question it doesn't mean we dismiss them it doesn't mean we don't talk to them and and what really struck me as odd and this goes back to your question and arose it's it's no there's no point in speaking only to the people who we get along with that defeats the entire point of it the, the core purpose is to actually engage with those who, who we're entirely conflicting with, who we disagree with the most strongly. That's the point of it. And the ones who are disenfranchised the most, the ones with those views like you're mentioning. So it, there's no point engaging only with you know, the ones that we're so friendly with. The, the whole point is to go and speak to those most disaffected.
1: Our ideas are always <coughs> to engage people and to debate, not debate with people to beat them, but to at least reach an understanding. But there are people out there whose views are extremely um, aggressive not just I- aggressive in a violent physical way but also aggressive towards others that they make takfir fear on everybody and yeah. everybody who doesn't agree with their views they they would use hadith and ayah to basically justify their yeah. um you know complete um you know ostracization is a word removal no. yeah. removal <laughs> from from the muslim community yeah these people do not want to engage with anyone <coughs> if you want to talk with these people yeah. they will use deliberately the uh, the kind of language that um stigmatizes stic- Stigmatizes. yes that stigmatizes one. Stigmatizes. <laughs> stigmatizes you that that causes you to, to basically to to hate being there and to leave yeah and so uh, in uh, in this case as well and I know this again because um, i've seen lots of um, initiatives or attempts to try and engage with certain p- i'm not talking about these specific yeah. people i'm talking about general people um, in which some would would um, uh, accept and go into debates and dialogues and try to to connect and understand each other and others would completely reject anyone other than those who uh, have their views.
2: Look, there's two points here. Number one, I think we need to be very careful when we're talking about these types of groups or or views, not to criminalize views, Um, which I think is something that we sometimes do. Okay. Um, Everybody's entitled to their view. If they actually manifest that in violent action, that's a different story, obviously, but in terms of views, um, regardless of how strongly we disagree with them, um, it's important not to criminalize them. Um, In regards to the second point about dialogue, um, of course, it's very difficult, um, and that's what dialogue is. Dialogue is never easy, and that's the point of it. if if it is easy then it's actually not dialogue the whole point of dialogue is that it's difficult and you're speaking with somebody who you can't even understand and the point is to try and understand them and often it's a group um or more than one group which actually doesn't want to dialogue and that's the challenge so it's it's for me it's too easy it's too convenient to simply dismiss these groups as saying okay they don't want to do it therefore it's not possible um the point uh, the the reason that they can't do it i mean the sorry the um the challenge of that dialogue is that they don't want to do it. How do we then uh, reach them despite the fact that they're not willing to engage? That's the whole challenge of dialogue, which <laughs> we've actually been covering with this ICV program. Mm. So uh, again, it goes back to that point. You don't only speak to the people who are willing to speak to you and who are already friendly. The whole point is to speak to those who, who not only disagree, but not even <laughs> willing to talk. And it's very difficult, and that's my point. We haven't, we haven't had a meaningful uh, attempt at doing it, and a long-term attempt at doing that. And I think that's where part of the, the other problem stems from.
3: And how do you think you would do that? Like what what would be yep. some actual, you know, specific, tangible attempts towards that end? Yeah.
2: I, I do have some ideas on how to do it and I'm hoping to um, initiate this with the ICV, inshallah. Um The first point to make is that there's no easy solution, as I said, and this needs to be a discussion. And the first step towards this discussion is acknowledging it as a problem, acknowledging that we have this problem of dislocation which needs to be addressed. I mean, one one uh, practical idea which I discussed with one of th- uh, two of the leaders today. Um, I think our approaches towards um, youth groups, in particular, you know, disenfranchised youth groups, is 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 quite wrong it's counterproductive I think it's um, it's with the best of intentions and so on but it's not taking it's not being sensitive okay I've uh, I'll be honest with you I've I grew up in a number of areas in in um, Melbourne which are very downtrodden uh, Dallas Jacana, Coburg I went through the gang scene I went through the drug scene I went through all of these scenes I know exactly how it is and I was very much one of these people who did not want to engage with anybody okay um, so and I know why Okay. Um, there's a massive distrust of authority within these groups and a lot of it's justified Okay, you experience racism daily, you experience all these sorts of things so often we I found I've found i seen these initiatives that try to engage youth they come with their business shirts and their ties looking like Nasser, MashaAllah <laughs> um, or they come, you know, suited up they come with their clipboards this is not the way you're going to engage the youth you need somebody who can actually relate to their experience somebody who can speak their language somebody who they can trust and relate to so I think um, there has been a t- uh, an attack attempt or attempts to reach out to the youth but I think it's misdirected I think it's not going about the same way so I think we need somebody who's a little bit more organic somebody who can actually relate to the youth and speak to them
3: so you basically
2: (laughs) well that's my plan (laughs) that's one of my plans um look I I still know a few of the you know people I used to hang around with in the gangs and so on so um uh, one of them is me um but there's also a number of others who I'm trying um, I mean this is just an idea whether it works or not uh, I'm not sure but um, I, I want to pilot this program Um, as an attempt to speak with youth who are, you know, very much on the bottom. So that's one idea, but the discussion needs to be had. And if I can just chip in quickly... um one area I see where we're incredibly lacking is our engagement with academia, with the intellectual world, and we suffer for this so, so intensely. Um, we seem to have this aversion towards academics, and I feel this myself, being you know an, an aspiring academic, we don't like academics. And um, in the academic world, this is exactly what they study. They give proposals for, okay, this is the best way to engage with the youth, this is the best way to do th- this, and this is the, the way not to do it. Who's and we, sorry? I, I'm talking generally the Muslim community. The mu- like um,
3: Muslim leadership or...?
2: more generally i think it's uh, it's very much across the board there is a real again disengagement with our academic okay. um leaders so i think that needs to also improve
3: yeah do you think it would also have a th- you know much to do with the fact that the academic scene in australia is you know not our particularly large <laughs> yeah. yeah not large <laughs> quite new compared to other places like for example in england <laughs> um when my husband was there he was saying the muslim engagement with the academic community there is much greater because there's been you know a longer period of that happening
2: yeah i'm uh, to be honest i'm not sure why we have that uh, attitude towards academics um it could be because it, it's not a very long relationship also um,
3: there's not many other muslim academics
2: they're not i mean it doesn't have to be necessarily muslim academics there are a lot of non-muslims i mean my supervisors are both non-muslim they, they do they engage quite heavily with muslim issues so yeah. it doesn't have to be muslim academics and unfortunately some of our muslim academics are not the best in that regard. No name um, and shame. No, I'm joking. Uh No, no, <laughs> sh- no naming. Um, but I think part of it is this attitude of, you know, um, academics are ivory tower dwellers. They're just, yep. you know, uh, armchair critics and so on. And I want to emphasize here the point that what academics do is work. Well, often, we're often accused, you know, go do some real work. What they do is real work. And, um, and it's actually a prerequisite to doing physical work. You need to have a framework before you start action. Otherwise, you might be perpetuating the very thing you're trying to get rid of. And I think this is sometimes what we do. So sometimes we perpetuate racism while trying to fight it, for example, because we haven't studied the theory, because we haven't you know, engaged with the academic world.
3: But do you think this is a really idealistic view of basically, you know, a program of people who have come from a really disadvantaged background but are also really willing to engage with academia because there's not many people or a high proportion of people from that background who then go on to that future
2: yeah um uh, with the youth uh, engagement idea it's not so much about engaging with academics, it's about engaging with people who managed to get out of that slum basically. Yeah. So it just so happens that I went down this path, but it yeah. doesn't necessarily mean that only people who became academics can, can talk. Um, it's more about you know people who were heavily in the drug scene or you know people who used to be pros- in, in the prostitution scene and so on who found a way out. Because often with uh, with the youth who are in these situations, there's no hope or they see that there's no hope, everything is closed, there's no opportunity to get out. And I went through this for about 10 years, yeah. um, so I think the main thing is is that if you if if we can provide somebody who was very much in that situation and found a way out um, then this I think will aspire some hope within the youth so that's the point of it not so much with the academic but there was one program which we covered uh, through the leadership program uh, with the ACU which really really interested me they call it um, University of the street yep. so yeah you take the academics to the actual you know living quarters of, of, of these disenfranchised people and you engage with them you know on a very real level and I think that's one thing that we could really implement. Uh, which might help address our issues.
1: Um, so tell me again about your engagement now with the ICV because I know that you and your ilk, uh, <laughs> namely ilk. Yasser uh, Mursi, <coughs> have uh, been critical of... It's not much uh, of
2: an ilk to people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, it just depends. I mean, uh, Umar was once yeah. asked uh, for a regiment of a thousand men to help them uh, conquer one city, I think in, in, not Jerusalem, but one city in current-day Palestine. And he sent one man and he said, what can one man do? The person who was asking said, you'll see what this one man does. And this man's uh, c- uh, cry of Allahu Akbar was uh, able to strike fear into the hearts of the people inside the citadel. and yeah. They were able to conquer it. So, I mean, don't underestimate um, <laughs> yourself, especially when Yasser is there as well. <laughs> so, I mean, we'll y- you guys <laughs> you guys um, have been um, quite critical of, of yeah. the ICV yeah. uh, and of their work. Uh, but um, I remember also you mentioned that the ICV do quite a lot of work as yep, well yep, yep. Uh, and that so it's <coughs> not fair to say that they don't do anything it's just the criticism is that they they uh, either are um, uh, dictated or th- their action and strategy is dictated by outside influences rather than inside influences and also that they're not doing the right things yep. rather than not doing anything
2: well yes um, there are a few questions there so let me deal with them one at a time oh, okay. <coughs> um you're right definitely right with that the ending statement um one of the criticisms has been that they don't do anything um and the other one which seems very contradictory is that they're doing the wrong things and i think they're both simultaneous when we say or when people say that they're not doing anything we're referring to they're not doing anything about these particular issues um they do an incredible amount of work and i i realized this after joining them and reading the books and so on um there is an incredible amount of work that gets done at the icv but i think and, and this is across the board not so much icv specific I, th- me personally, I think, and I, and I'd like to get some opinions of this, um, on this. I think the reason that we do so much work and yet so much seems not to be done. Number one is perception, which we discussed before. But also, I think that we've misdefined the problem. Okay. Now, I think that the problem, and and I've gathered this from so many of the leaders and the groups and so on. We have this idea. There seems to be a consensus that our major problem is. The, the perception of Muslims, okay? Our image, okay? And so you see all these programs, these initiatives trying to counter this problem, fix our image in the media, clear misconceptions and so on. And there's an incredible amount of work being uh, being done in that regard, which again ICV is very heavily involved with. Now I, for I for one, I've been involved in the Muslim community for about eight years now. Um, I've never heard a discussion about uh, people actually asking what are our problems. Um, it seems to be an assumption. So um, we have worked very heavily in that regard, but I think, me personally, I don't think that's our primary problem. Sure, it a problem. I think we have much bigger problems of drugs, of crime, domestic violence, disenfranchised youth, loss of hope, identity, and all these other things. Which, But again, we need this discussion. Um, I think we've proceeded on an assumption of what our problem is, and we've gone from there doing an incredible amount of work trying to address that. Um, I also have my reservations about how we address that, but that's another discussion. So that's one side of it. One side is that there's so much work being done, but I think it's on, on, on the wrong issue.
3: Just on that. Um, (coughs) Earlier you were talking about your upbringing and how one of the big problems with people in disadvantaged settings is a huge mistrust of authority, which comes from facing racism every day. Doesn't that come from a negative perception of Muslims, making it a really primary issue?
2: No, I don't think it does. Um, So
3: racism is often faced by people who think that Muslims are crazy, terrible people Okay, which comes from a perception which is constantly pushed into by the media
2: yep That's, uh, this is exactly what I'm talking about I disagree entirely yep. because um, I study racism and uh, my ilk <laughs> studies racism and these sorts of issues societal issues Yeah, racism doesn't work like that racism is not about individual prejudice racism is about power Okay, racism about knowledge and these sorts of things. And these, the, this, especially this type of racism um, in, in Australia, in the police force and so on, it's systemic. And once, once a, a, a type of racism or discrimination becomes systemic, it doesn't require individual actors. It becomes part of the system. So I think Nazi system, I know you don't like me uh, mentioning Nazis, Nasser, but... Okay. <laughs> would,
3: would you call the media an individual actor? No. Isn't the media a set sort of institutions?
2: Yes, that's what I'm saying. It's a systemic uh, type of issue.
3: I'm th- in terms of media perception, media like you're saying, it shouldn't uh, an individual actor won't affect it. But I'm not talking about not the that they
2: characters. won't affect it. Not uh, what I'm saying is that they're not necessary for the racism to occur. So you have structural racism, you have structural discrimination, uh, which happens regardless of people's intentions or attitudes or personalities. So this is again, this is what I mentioned just earlier about. I think the way we tackle these issues. Um, don't work because yeah. we've we haven't understood how racism works we haven't understood how discrimination works there is discrimination in the legal system for example um and you're not going to fix that by talking to people or you know giving them pamphlets or something because it's not an it's not an individual problem these are systemic issues and we're not we're not recognizing that they're systemic again because of our lack of engagement with academia we don't understand how they work and so obviously we're trying to fix them but we're not doing it in the way that might actually work
3: yeah Okay. I'm thinking... hmm, I don't know how to word this. Basically, like, I think we're talking about the other end of the system, as in how the racism affects the Muslims themselves. And, for example, the racism affects them through the system, through the, um, the legal system, like you said. I know where I grew up was a very, very, very white area in Sydney, which was a real shock coming from Manchester. But anyway, it was a really, really white area. The only ever understanding I ever had of Muslims, the only knowledge I ever got of them was through the media. I knew absolutely nothing about Islam, about Arabs, about anything like that, except through the media. So that was like, I, I personally don't think I had a particularly racist view, but then I think particularly, probably everyone thinks that about themselves. Yep. Um, but I do know that's, that's the only place where any view I had came from. So does that not have a big impact? Because I know like everyone in my area was about the same. I don't think any of us knew anyone who was Arab or Muslim. Yeah.
2: Yep. I'm not, uh, I mean, uh, I don't want to be misunderstood here. Of course, it has a massive impact. Um, but my point is that that impact is not because one individual in Channel 7 has a bad attitude, um, which seems to be what we're trying to rectify. Um, the issue is systemic, even with the media. The media is not a person. It's an institution, like you said. So um, the institutional issues, which which can't be rectified by speaking nicely to people or trying to portray, you know, a good image of Muslims. Yes. And again, I mean, if, I we, it, no. if we start to think that, I mean, uh, I'm we're not under any illusions. The media is not going to come out and save us. I mean, they're not going to, um, you know, uh, help us with our cause of, you know, of any cause really. So even with that idea of, you know, um, trying to uh, defeat racism, if you like, through the media, I think even that is quite limited in its, in its potential. So
3: Yeah. So would you say to an extent, I don't know, that it's not wrong for people to try and give the, you know, reframe the narrative, but it shouldn't be the priority?
2: Yes, um, it shouldn't be the priority. Definitely, I think that point's made. Reframing the narrative is exactly what we need to do. Um, I don't think it's being done very well. I don't, I'm not sure if it's even being done. Yeah. Um, but and also, this is, not this is to what
3: people's intentions are. In I know general.
2: the intentions. It, it, this yeah. is why it's so hurtful. I know. I can understand why it's so hurtful for the leaders to hear this because the intentions are there and the and the action is there. Yeah. All I'm saying is that perhaps we need to reassess our approach. Mm. Um, and uh, even when i mean our, our, if you look at the past 10 years and so the way we've tried to do that i think uh, there's been a monopoly of voice in the media i think we've all gauged that um and i think that's why it was so refreshing to get a different voice out there so we're not going to uh, even on the point of media, we're not going to fix that problem of image and perception yeah. by trying to homogenize one voice. So I think what we've done, we've reacted to, to obviously, you know, they keep showing this extremist voice, this radical voice. So what we've done, I think, is just the exact opposite. Yeah. We said, OK, well, we're not all radicals, but now all we're doing is saying, well, we're all moderates. You know, we're all on this side. And I use moderates very loosely. Um, just to sort of make it easier. So I think we've done the exact opposite and, and we've tried to show one particular voice. Why not show all the diverse voices instead of trying to homogenize the discussion?
1: I've just got a question here from one of our um, listeners. Uh, <coughs> Brother Yasser Mursi asks uh, no. <laughs> I have a question for Tabba. Why are you allowing Nasser to blame the radical fringes for not having some s- nonsensical and fictional tolerance towards mainstream Muslims? Why are you allowing him to fix the conditions of the dialogue? Is it because you're an ICV board member now? <laughs>
2: um, let me start by saying thank you, Yasser, because it didn't take you and the, the ilk very long to start criticizing me from your armchair. <laughs> no, um, look, uh, it's not my radio show. Um, maybe you did that with Nasser. Perhaps I'm a little bit more generous. Um, look, I'm not sure if that's a serious question, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> I promised to ask it. Okay, well, you asked it
3: are you no, going to answer not, i'm not sure what answer
2: <laughs> he's looking for why am i allowing him maybe i'll uh, you know maybe there'll be a uh uh noor and mohammed uprising and we'll take over the studio and reframe the entire discussion i'm not sure It would be interesting maybe after the we show we'll do that <laughs>
1: look um uh, i i don't really have a problem with people fighting over my seat or you know too many listeners or anything like that have you're you not old enough yet Yeah, we really <laughs> don't
3: have a problem with too many listeners mm-hmm.
1: yeah, actually i actually have a lot of people i'd like to make a shout out to our listeners. Uh, brother Faisal and Brother Orhan and Brother Yasser and all Three. the other brothers all the <laughs> <Three> <laughs> These listeners. are the people who commented. There are many people who liked and listened of course, yeah, yeah. This is silent, And Nasser's mom as always Silent listeners. She actually doesn't listen to yeah. it She pretends sometimes though <laughs> uh, but can, I, can I actually I'll, I'll yes, answer Yasser's question
2: yes. um, I think, <coughs> sorry. I think that is a, a problem that we often um, are confronted with: is that we do blame much of our issues and uh, specifically society's issues on this what we call the radical fringe. Everything's their fault. The, you know, they interpret too harshly. They live too strictly. They don't. You know, they don't have an open mindset. That's why we have problems. Which, for me, is to be frank, ridiculous. Because uh, I think their 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 actions or their views even are a response to. Uh, greater issues. So I think again we're focusing on, uh, and I said this in some of the articles. I think we're we're constantly focusing on the consequences of the problem rather than the problem itself. So for example, going back to media, um, I discussed with a number of, uh, you know, the leaders and the groups about their media statements, and and one of the key things which h- kept coming out was that okay, we we take these stances because if we don't, then Muslim women get bashed. Yeah. Now, for me, this is a classic example. I know that Muslim women get get abused. My wife gets abused and my sisters get abused. I'm aware of it. Um, But the thing is this. um, That's not the problem. That's a consequence of the problem. The problem is racism. For example, some guy sitting watching a TV uh, screen sees a Muslim youth who's screaming and then goes out and decides to bash a Muslim woman. That's the problem. Okay. The consequence of that is that our sisters get bashed. Yes, but by dealing with the consequence, you actually never address the problem, and you're never going to resolve it. The best you can do is limit its effect. And so and that's.
3: Do you think Muslim leaders can resolve that problem of? Absolutely, we can work towards resolving it. But uh, a Screaming until youth on TV and thus creating racism. No,
2: no, 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 no. I think you've misunderstood me. The problem is not the screaming youth. The problem is the yeah, mindset. I know. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Yes. Of the, of the viewer that would go out and bash a woman how, because some guy screamed.
3: Because, like, I, I remember reading an article recently um, from my, Susan Parlin, I think, about how she had. Shut up, Nassim. About how um, she's been doing the same interview for 10 years. Yes, and that's, my 10 point, years, that's my yeah, point. Yeah, yeah. And I it hasn't, that, worked. It but hasn't that, but worked. But my point is that her. Well, her point, sorry, is that that's because for 10 years the media themselves have not moved on despite efforts. Exactly. Made but by what are Muslims we expecting re- from the media? We're we expecting better than that? I so so think we being how, naive. So, what are Muslims We need to have the discussion
2: of other approaches, academia.
3: You think that 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 youth definitely
2: a potential. You there think to that do youth
3: it. who's sitting watching TV of the screaming Muslim youth is suddenly going to start reading journal articles? No,
2: but uh, as I said, it's not an individual problem. It's not the problem of their attitude. It's a systemic problem. We can address the systemic problem by engaging with the system through our knowledge and so on. So and that will tr- uh, filter down to that youth who's watching the TV.
3: It's a long-term for very <laughs> long-term, but we need to start it if yeah. we want to actually
2: resolve.
1: Unfortunately, we've come to the end of the show. I feel that we should have probably given the show three hours, but We only have one hour. um, I have three hours. (laughs) (laughs) We have the Arabic Arabic news coming up and our listeners get really antsy if we don't (laughs) play it on time. Uh, So at this stage, I'd like to thank um, our uh, uh, guests. uh, brother Noor, Nooruddin Zahid, Jazakallah khair, and thank you very much for coming, bro. My absolute pleasure, jazakallah khair.
3: You've been somewhat of a dark horse while I've been <laughs> <laughs> sitting here. I missed out on the Apparently.
1: Yeah, he spoke out a lot. It's okay. m- Muslim time thing, you don't get it. <laughs> uh, also, uh, brother, uh, future Dr. Muhammad Abba, thank you very much for your help. I wish you all the best, inshaAllah. Um I I love your work some some of your work really pisses me off but I understand <laughs> it. I'm I quite mean, happy with that. If It's real it's real <laughs> I mean it's, uh, who am I to get pissed off at it. But uh, yeah I seriously jazakallah wish you all the best inshallah I'm very happy <laughs> for <laughs> your um um uh, what do you what? call it Result. election election Result. results yep. yeah yep. with the ICPS jazakallah uh, Khairan also with sister Muslim time thank you very much <laughs> uh for uh coming with us inshallah uh, you're going to be gone for a year
3: at least Inshallah. At least,
1: inshallah. Uh, and so we wish you all the best for your year. Thank you. Is
3: anybody
1: actually able to? Yeah. We wish you all the best for your year, inshallah. And uh, hopefully, maybe you can do us uh, some uh, um, podcasts from Palestine and send them to us.
3: That sounds really wanky. <laughs> I might. But nice way to end really.
1: the show. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. And on that note, <laughs> we come to the end of our show with your host, Nasser Khatib. We'll see you next week, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.